0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute, and today we'll be talking about volunteerism in Indonesian elections. Volunteers have emerged as a new force in some of Indonesia's most important elections over the past five years, starting with the campaign of Jokowi and Ahok for Jakarta governor in 2012. Jokowi came to the capital with a clean skin image as the reformist mayor of Solo in Central Java and immediately made a show of requiring his supporters to buy his trademark red-and-blue check shirts, implicitly distancing himself from the dominant mode of campaigning involving handouts, renter crowds and vote buying. When Jokowi ran for president in 2014, volunteers were again prominent, and his deputy Ahok, who became governor of Jakarta when Jokowi was elected as president, also initially flirted with the idea of abandoning party support altogether for his re-election bid this year by instead relying on volunteers as a support base, a plan he later aborted. To discuss his research on the emergence of volunteers as a new actor in Indonesian electoral politics, I'm joined by Dr. Dirk Thompson, senior lecturer in politics at La Trobe University, and I'm delighted to say one of the new co-hosts for Talking Indonesia this year. Dirk, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, could I start by asking you? What exactly is volunteerism or volunteer activism in Indonesian elections, and how did it first emerge?
1: Volunteer activism, I think, is a new kind of activism in the sense that it yeah, as you said in your introduction, it brings a new element to a sort of dominant mode of election campaigning in Indonesia before. It's well known that many electoral campaigns are run on the basis of the distribution of gifts and money, and people who join electoral campaigns, they usually join the campaigns because they're hoping or they're expecting some sort of reward for doing this afterwards. So the term Relawan that came up yeah, since 2012, basically... Meaning volunteers. Meaning volunteers, thanks. Came up to sort of indicate that there was no implicit expectation of a reward.
0: Who were the volunteers who got involved in that 2012 gubernatorial election?
1: They came from all sorts of walks of life. I should probably say that in that particular election the volunteers emerged relatively late. Um, the candidates for whom they campaigned, Jokowi and Ahok, they were outsiders in that election. All the polls previously had favored the incumbent at that time, Fauzi who was a sort of traditional apparatchik, traditional politician with good networks into the elite. And Jokowi needed a different angle to campaign against him. And so his team, his campaign advisors, um, they devised this strategy which would basically rely on support from the grassroots so they recruited ordinary folks from the neighborhoods object drivers warung sellers to sort of spread the word and out of this then people became interested in Jacobi and ahok they learned more about Jacobi, who had come from solo um who was not well well known at the time in jakarta and so the word spread people became interested people thought oh this is a you know this is a new a breath of fresh air, so to speak, in electoral politics. And then they became involved in that election.
0: And why was Jokowi's campaign able to recruit volunteers in that way to to spread the word?
1: I think there were an, a number of reasons, but perhaps the, the most prominent ones was that there was a widespread sort of sense of dissatisfaction generally with established politicians. And in Jakarta, you have a large enough pool of people who were willing to actually try to make a difference, to try to make it different and give an outsider a chance. Um, fawzi Bobo was the incumbent, as I said before, he hadn't really achieved much in Jakarta, and yet he was supported in the election by 8 out of 10 parties in the local parliament. So many people thought that if it's this is the kind of traditional campaign, surely fawzi Bobo will win. But with the support of a new grassroots networks, they could try to make a difference. And I guess it was also, perhaps I should add, the broader dynamics at the time. This was not only a Jakarta phenomenon, but also a national phenomenon. That There was widespread dissatisfaction with political parties, with established elites. And Jokowi represented something that could actually trigger engagement.
0: And was Jokowi the only candidate to use volunteers in that election or to have volunteers support him? Or did we see... Some of the either multiple candidates in the first round or Falzi Bowo, the incumbent in the runoff against Jokowi and in the second round, also
1: use volunteers. Well, Falzi Bovo, he pursued a relatively traditional approach based on money and media. He thought with the advantage of the incumbency and the support of eight parties in parliament, he'd certainly get through. There, there was another candidate in that campaign who tried to build a grassroots um, effort as well. That was uh, Faisal Basri, a well-known economist. But he lacked the charisma and the the sort of the simplicity of the message that Jokowi represented. And you
0: mentioned Jokowi's victory in that 2000 election was really something of a surprise. He came as an outsider, defeated an incumbent. When in Jakarta gubernatorial elections, the incumbents almost always win. How important do you think the volunteer movement
1: supporting him was to his victory in 2012? most observers um agreed that it triggered a, a movement in the sense that um this spread way beyond the actual volunteers what they did uh, mobilized voters to actually come out and vote for Jacobi, which they probably would not have done before because they saw that this man was actually getting support from a very broad spectrum of society. As I said, the volunteers were, were recruited from very ordinary folks, but there were also a lot of activists from the 1998 democratization movement, human rights activists, women's activists. And so people could see that Jokowi was really representing something different. You mentioned volunteers, almost by definition,
0: taking part without hope of recompense. What did happen to the volunteers who supported Jokowi after he did gain election?
1: Several of them, well, they joined organisations, which they said would try to sort of monitor the city administration after Jokowi's victory, that they would like to become part of a participatory framework of governance. But of course, they soon had to realize that once Jacobi was elected, that practically everything that they had hoped to do was related to budgeting. And if they didn't want to get involved in the kind of traditional transactional politics, that it would be very difficult to actually become part of this participatory framework. So much of the activism then sort of dissipated relatively quickly. But having said that, Jokowi then ran for president just two years later, and many of the activists who were active in 2012 in his Jakarta election, then saw an opportunity to use their skills and their experience in the 2014 election and help Jokowi in that campaign again.
0: And if you said they struggled to remain involved in Jakarta politics after the election went past, what was it about the 2014 election and Jokowi that motivated them to mobilize again in support of his candidacy?
1: I think at that time there were some similarities. The general sentiment against established elites was, of course, still there. But this time, Jokowi's opponent was slightly different. If fauzi in 2012 was a sort of typical representative of this established elite, now in 2014, Jokowi in his presidential campaign ran against another candidate who was also attacking the established elites. But this candidate, Prabowo Subianto, he represented a return in a sense to old values from the authoritarian period. He was, of course, former general, former son-in-law of former President Suharto, uh, and he actively campaigned for firm, aggressive leadership, perhaps almost authoritarian. Several observers have said that there was a real threat of return to authoritarianism. So the fear of just business as usual from 2012 was not now transferred into a fear of a regression in the overall trajectory of Indonesian politics and that the achievements of the democratization process may be at risk.
0: Was it the same volunteers who were mobilizing in 2014 for the presidential election as had mobilized in support of Jokowi and Ahok's gubernatorial campaign in 2012?
1: Some of them were. But this was now much bigger. This was now a national campaign. And now that Jokowi came in as a favorite, no longer as an outsider, because in the run-up to the election, Jokowi had developed significant momentum and he was now the poll favorite. So now the definition of volunteerism became much more blurry. A lot of people joined um, under the banner of Relawan organization, or volunteer organizations, when in actual fact they tried to use this as leverage to gain rewards afterwards once again. So even though the labor remained the same, the volunteer movement that emerged in 2014 was much broader, much more diffuse, and with much more varying interests among the various groups.
0: And under the Indonesian constitution, presidential candidates are nominated by political parties. And certainly we see the main parties supporting each candidate A very well known at the time on the Jokowi side, you had the Indonesian Democratic Struggle Party (PDIP). On Prabowo's side, his own personal electoral vehicle, Garindra. Although each had broader coalitions. What about these volunteer organisations? Did some of the larger organisations become household names for voters during the campaign?
1: Yeah, some of the larger organizations during the campaign were quite well known. Um, Those were in particular the ones that had good connections to Jakarta, elite into the media. For example, the national secretary for Jokowi, Seknas Jokowi, was quite well known. There was also another group called Projo that was also very well connected. And those two were quite visible during the campaign. But the bigger difference was probably made at the grassroots by the smaller groups uh, who were not that well known, but who were actually very active in mobilizing support.
0: And what exactly were these volunteer
1: groups doing in the 2014 presidential election? What role did they play there? Perhaps one of the most significant tasks was that they collected a lot of donations. This was another major difference from the campaign of Prabowo and more established politicians, who relied largely on money from big business. The volunteer organisations in the grassroots they collected a lot of different, a lot of small amounts from individual donors, and that was quite new.
0: I guess one of the features that really stood out for me about that 2014 presidential election more than earlier elections in Indonesia was the way that it seemed to become personalized for voters. We saw on social media people putting up avatars on the Jokowi side, I stand on the right side, and so on and so forth, really identifying people in a a partisan way with each candidate in a very visible sense. Do you think the volunteer movement that mobilized in support of Jokowi was part of that increased partisanship at the at the individual level of Indonesians in that election, or are those two different processes?
1: Well, I think they complement each other. Um, there was a conscious effort by the Jokowi campaign to use social media much better than it had previously been done. Prior to 2012, when he ran for governor in Jakarta, there was hardly any systematic use of social media before, which is somewhat surprising given that Jakarta is known as one of the most media, social media addicted capitals in the world so in that sense there was clearly a clear direction basically from the campaign to make better use of social media but of course social media can only work if it does then spread without direction if people actually pick up on it and do it by themselves and this is what happened because I think to some extent because the stakes were quite high in the 2014 presidential election, because many people, even if they did not necessarily have any high opinion of Jokowi, they would not have wanted to vote for Prabowo. So because it was quite polarized, the stakes were high. And the campaign messages were quite simple. That engaged more and more people to use these kinds of avatars in social media, for example.
0: I mean, we've focused today on Jokowi's use of volunteers. Did we see the ProBoo campaign seek to mobilize volunteers of their own?
1: Well, their campaign was... Yeah, driven by a very well-oiled machine, basically. He had lots of support from very wealthy oligarchs. So the money was distributed in a very systematic way down to the grassroots level as well. But as far as I could tell, most of the people who got involved there did it less out of conviction, perhaps a small percentage as well, but not to the extent that it happened in the Jacobi campaign. In the Prabowo campaign, you saw much more engagement in the campaign, because either they were paid for it or because they were expecting to get some kind of reward afterwards. Yeah. So Jokowi, of course, did go on
0: to win the election. And you mentioned some of these volunteer groups entered the race essentially with the idea that Jokowi was the front runner and there would be opportunities to seek positions in the administration afterwards. Did we see that type of bargaining occurring either in the lead up to the election or, or afterwards?
1: Yes, we did. But Jacobi, I think, was relatively smart in disguising that and hiding that from the public. But it did happen. And um, several appointments that were made after his victory were reported in the media. But it didn't really do too much damage, um, a little bit. But I think more damaging was his subsequent relations during uh, with the party, with the PDIP in the cabinet uh, process. But directly from the volunteers, what you did see was appointments, especially to stand state-owned enterprises, to leading positions there. And that was yeah, quite deliberately targeted by some of the more formal volunteer groups.
0: I guess in taking up those sort of positions, to some degree you could imagine political parties seeing this as volunteers treading on their toes in terms of impinging on a domain that political parties would seek to dominate. Have we seen out of the involvement of volunteer movements in elections over the past five years a growing friction with political parties?
1: Well, we saw the friction in 2014 quite clearly. The former party-affiliated campaign um, wasn't very active. There was not unanimous support for Jacobi within PDIP. And so engagement in the campaign was relatively limited. Uh, so some people have said that the volunteers became a kind of substitute for party support for Jacobi, And the parties would not have liked this. So the volunteer movement, I think what it did was for parties to rethink their strategies for elections at least for the bigger elections in the future Um, they will want to regain some of the ground that they lost and so if they support a candidate that they will have to think very carefully in how they frame their support for this candidate in an election and how they deal with the kind of other activism that emerges outside the party structures.
0: Could you explain a bit more specifically what the parties would do in response to those volunteer movements?
1: I think they would want to, well, to co-opt them better, to integrate them better into the formal campaigns. So we saw that, for example, in the Jakarta election that is held now this year, that the the incumbent candidate who was leading in the polls for a long time was toying with the idea, publicly at least, um, of running as an independent based entirely on volunteer support. There were several groups out there supporting Ahok, the incumbent candidate, um, in the run-up to the election. Um, The most prominent was called Timan Ahok, the Friends of Ahok. And they were collecting signatures to support an independent candidature. I think the parties at that time were really a bit frazzled by this support and by Ahok publicly toying with the idea. There was a bit of talk about that. Parties were increasingly being marginalised, now actively by politicians. I think for the future now, they will want to be become more proactive in sort of trying to get the candidates back on board again. And in the case of Ahok, that worked in the end. Ahok eventually reneged on that promise of running as an independent.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say it seemed to me in the Jakarta election, the parties didn't so much seem to try to co-opt the Friends of Ahok and other volunteers so much as pressure Ahok to distance himself from them. There seemed to be quite a number of accusations of corruption flowing his way, for instance, that then disappeared once he pledged that he would run as a party candidate rather than going with these volunteers. You know, if if you do agree with that sort of analysis, what effect did that kind of party pressure have on the volunteer support for Ahok in this year's gubernatorial election?
1: Yeah, when I said that they were trying to co-opt them, I think, at least in the beginning, that they were both, like what you said, that they were trying to pressure Ahok and trying to abandon that idea. But at the same time, I think they also saw the potential that the volunteers could bring to the campaign. And therefore, I think at least in the beginning, there were talks between the three parties that came out in support of Ahok initially, the Golka Party, Hanura, and Nasdem, um, so when they made their announcement, for example, that they were supporting Ahok, they d- made this announcement at the headquarters of Timan So I think at that point there was real communication between Timan the Ahok camp, and the parties to try to devise a campaign together. But at that time, PDIP hadn't come on board yet, which was eventually announced by Megawati shortly before the deadline for nominations. And I think that sort of shifted the momentum because PDIP didn't really want that kind of volunteer engagement again because they had seen it in 2014, how a two-track campaign basically emerged. And they also then dominated the campaign team, which previously had been shared, by or was meant to be shared by Golka, Nastem and Hanura. But the entry of PDIP sort of changed that equation a fair bit. And since then, yes, and Ahok have been fairly quiet. They're still active, but nowhere near as prominent as they were before the parties, and especially PDIP, announced that they would support Ahok.
0: Could we interpret Ahok's abandonment of the idea of running as an independent candidate, assuming he was seriously committed to it at one point, as kind of showing the limits of the influence of volunteers in Indonesian politics at the moment, that they don't present a viable alternative to a candidate to having a political base among political parties themselves? I mean, we heard speculation after the 2014 presidential elections, for instance, when Jokowi was experiencing so many troubles with PDIP that he might turn to the volunteer movement as his own political base. But we really haven't seen that happen. Are there, you know, very clear limits to what volunteers can provide to candidates at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think there are certainly limits, and in a sense, you're right. I think the Ahok case now confirms. That the limits are quite clear, and that candidates see benefits from running as a, a party candidate. But I think it's also the broader context has to be right. What we what we describe as contingency factors. And Ahok was a was a tricky case. On the one hand, he fulfilled or he ticked many boxes as a candidate that may run as a sort of maverick candidate who would be credible as a candidate who was not supported by parties you know because of his image as a very outspoken um, governor who often took on the local parliament or the bureaucracy and people liked that but the the flip side to it is also that, as is well known, he is also a member of a double minority. He is an ethnic Chinese and he is a Christian and therefore I think supporting him or running a campaign basically only on the, or without any party support, would run big risks um, because the parties could easily mobilize, as you said before, corruption allegations but also use his status as a member of a minority to attack him and it is very doubtful that Self-funded, self-organized volunteer movement would be able to counter that.
0: And I mean, we have seen in the context of this election, with the second round still to come in April, a massive mobilization against Ahok on account of his double minority status, centering around these blasphemy accusations against him, which see him standing trial at the moment, even as the election rolls on. Could we see that sort of mobilization, which has seen at time hundreds of thousands of people gather? in Jakarta under a banner of defending Islam as another form of volunteer activism in, in the course of Indonesian elections, or
1: is this something quite different? It is, I think, comparable. It sort of takes place in the sense of the other spectrum of the volunteerism. If in 2012 and 2014, the underlying theme that was, was sort of motivating many volunteers, not all of them, but quite a few of them, was to defend the achievements of 1998 to, to to sort of salvage what's left of the democratic reform regime both in 2012 Jokowi and Aok stood for that in a sense as they were taking on Fauzi bovo and in 2012 Jokowi stood for that when he was running against Prabowo now i think this kind of element is is not present in this um, mobilization ahead of the 2017 election because you now have religion and ethnicity sort of at the forefront of this mobilization. So the dynamics behind it have changed or the motivating triggers for the mobilization have changed. And it's also another question of how many of these people who turned up at the rallies can be classified as volunteers. I think a a lot are sort of yeah mobilized through the usual means of providing funds through big money whereas others joined because out of solidarity out of a religious cause but it's um, directed against a candidate it's not directed for a candidate it's not support for one candidate but rather trying to prevent the election of a particular candidate
0: i mean is this something that even if not support for a candidate we have seen the majority of votes seemingly flow to Anis Baswedan, the former education minister, former rector of a pluralist Islamic university in Indonesia. He seems to have cornered the conservative Muslim vote in the Jakarta election. Is there the potential in that mobilization against Ahok tied to this blasphemy case for Anis Baswedan now to recruit those people as volunteers in service of his campaign, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think there is, Um, although the dynamics in recent weeks have sort of, well, declined a bit. The organizers of those big rallies um, have been put under some pressure through legal cases. So I'm not sure if this kind of huge mobilization can still be relied upon by Anis Perswedan, but he will certainly try to tap into this. And there is still potential, and uh, I think the last big mobilization was still attended by several hundreds of thousands of people, I think maybe 300,000 or so at the last rally. Not as many as previously, but there's still certainly a large pool of people that Anis can use in his upcoming campaign.
0: Zooming back out to the kind of broader effects on the political system, you mentioned for candidates, there's still an advantage in having the support of political parties, even if these volunteers can contribute support. What about for the volunteers themselves has mobilizing in this way opened new avenues of access to political representation or influence on policy making in indonesia or has the influence really been limited simply to supporting the electoral prospects of a particular candidate
1: yeah to a large extent it's been limited to the latter as in to supporting a candidate up to the point that they get elected In the case of Jacobi, that worked out. He won both elections. Afterwards, as I said, access to actual policymaking has been very limited. Some initiatives have been there to become part of this, especially in 2012 um, in Jakarta. But at the national level, that's obviously very difficult. And there we've seen pretty much a return to politics as usual. Um, That's why I think it's more accurate to describe this as electoral movements that basically end once a candidate is being elected and then most people after that sort of step back and watch what the candidate does but they're no longer as active or as involved as they were before.
0: I guess if we talk about these volunteers as electoral movements is it only for your capital city elections the Jakarta gubernatorial elections the
1: presidential election or has this become a broader phenomenon across Indonesia? As could be expected, a lot of candidates outside Jakarta have tried to copy that, and many who used to call their campaign teams team success now rely on so, sort of success teams um, now rely on. Relawan organizations, volunteer organizations as well, but they often operate in the same way as previously the success teams did, as in still through the flow of money and clientelistic networks rather than enthusiastic support at the grassroots. So while the label has certainly caught on and a lot of people are trying to emulate it, I think the prospects for this phenomenon to spread are quite limited. A, because outside Jakarta, well, there are still a few places like perhaps Bandung or Surabaya, um, where you could tap into a sort of urban pool of people who might might become engaged. But in other places, you sort of lack the socioeconomic base to Get people involved in creative social media activism. It would be more grassroots, sort of traditional type of activism, but I think even that the potential for that is limited because in other places, yeah, the traditional mode of campaigning based on clientelistic networks is still quite prevalent as we saw in 2014 in the parliamentary election as well, which was running nearly at the same time as the presidential election and still there you had very much the traditional modes of campaigning dominant.
0: Now, I mean, you mentioned the influence of volunteers has been largely limited simply to getting particular candidates elected. Looking forward to 2019 and the next presidential election, do you expect volunteers to be a major force in 2019?
1: <sighs> to be honest, not really. I think this will be a much more party-driven campaign again in 2019. But the parties, I think, will probably seek to utilise some of the campaign strategies that the volunteers in 2012 and 2014 have pioneered, Um, be that social media engagement, be that fundraising. Um, I think the parties will learn from those elections and will sort of try to use strategies that have been used before. But I think the visibility of volunteer organizations that will decline again, um, this was tied to the moment and the personalities that were featuring in those two elections. In 2019, Joko will go in as the incumbent. Whether he will be a favorite or not, we, we won't know yet, but he will certainly not... Um, be able to play this card as the outsider anymore. And I think that was a big element in this volunteer activism and I think it will be very difficult to mobilize the same kind of activism again in 2019.
0: So it sounds like you're describing volunteers more as a phase that Indonesian politics went through rather than something that's profoundly changed the political system in Indonesia.
1: Yeah, that's right. It hasn't profoundly changed the political system. But I think what it has changed or will change in the future is, as I said, the the modes of campaigning during elections, they will change. Had the volunteers not started all these various initiatives, I think we would see much more of the same that we had seen prior to 2012. Um, so it will be a mix of the old, I suppose, in in the future, especially if the electoral rules are going to be the same as in 2014.
0: The old being vote buying, rent-a-crowds, handouts, promises of patronage.
1: Yeah, these kinds of things, I think, will will still be very prominent. But I think they will be complemented by more innovative and more creative forms of activism, but also of party involvement if the parties take on board the lessons from the last elections.
0: Dirk, there's a lot more I could ask you, but I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: That was Dr. Dirk Thompson, Senior Lecturer in Politics at La Trobe University and a new co-host of the Talking Indonesia podcast in 2017. You can find the entire archive of the Talking Indonesia podcast at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or subscribe via iTunes or your favourite podcasting app and you'll never miss an episode. Talking Indonesia will return on 16 March, hosted by Dr. Gemma Purdy. Until then, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now.